Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. Join one of the Adelaide 36ers' favourite sons as we deep dive into everything past and present about one of the most storied franchises in the NBL. It's Sixers Fix, your Adelaide 36ers podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis, your Adelaide 36ers podcast. We're here for the very first show of 2020. We're starting with a bang. Doesn't get any any bigger than our guest that we've got for you this week. But before we get onto that, the man that's co-hosting with me, I'm Chris Pike. But Scott Ninnis, his name's on the show. Let's get to him straight away. Scott Ninnis, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. And hopefully you're keeping cool in Adelaide at the moment. Well, not really, Chris. <laughs> like, happy <laughs> New Year and Merry Christmas to you. It's uh, Look, our, our guest is, uh, this for this podcast is hotter than the LA temperature. It was uh, 36 <laughs> degrees here today, 40 degrees again tomorrow. And, uh, you know, hopefully we, we obviously have some issues with uh, some catastrophic fires over here which uh, potentially can fire up again but uh, hopefully uh, that doesn't happen but uh, yeah great to be back on the air and uh, having a chat with you and uh, and our guest. Yeah great to be with you, with you again as well and we wanted to start off 2020 in the best possible way and you just don't get any bigger than, than Andrew Gaze in Australian basketball and as, as you'll see later in the show we've also got Adelaide 36's royalty that that will join in as well. So the fact that you get to hear a very special Adelaide guest, you get to hear the one and only Scott Ninnis talking with Andrew Gaze. Um, I think this could be could be our best show yet, mate. We've got nowhere to go from here, do we, Andrew, <laughs> no, Andrew we Gaze? Don't. I mean, like it's uh, oh look, it's unbelievable. You know, like I was very privileged to uh, spend a couple of years with him in in the uh, national team uh, with the Boomers and. Not so privileged to play against him for t- mm. you know, twelve or thirteen years uh, in the same position. He's six foot seven. I was six foot two. He was always <laughs> a challenge. But uh, y- you know, some of the I guess the glory days of the NBL, and uh, yeah, we had some great battles. And uh, he's just such a legend. What you see when you hear him on the radio, what you hear on TV, is exactly the bloke he is. He's uh, he's big time, and and uh, yeah, just a fantastic guy. Yeah, it's a real real privilege for us to have him on our show. We'll hear from him later, and he he has some really kind words to say about you, especially in that in the way that you were able to guard him in that nineteen ninety two Grand Final series. Um, what about for you? What was it like to play against Andrew Gaze for that, that many years? And in terms of the NBL, is anyone ever going to be able to come close to being I, to challenging him as the greatest player of all time? I don't think so. I think it's it's uh, because in this day and age, no one plays. No one's going to be an Andrew Gaze or a mm. Brett Maher, you know, or someone that plays 15, 16, 17, 18 or Mark yeah, Davis games, for, the, yeah. for the one club. I mean, and that's just day and age it is. I mean, I, you know, that when we beat them in 1992 with the Magic, I didn't really guard him. It was Darren Lucas that, like, yeah. really battled against him. But, you know, with the, the injury to Darren Perry, with, when he stamped his Achilles, allowed me to guard Lenar Copeland mm-hmm. and... I wasn't the best defender in the world, but <laughs> what that did allow was Robert Rose to guard Warwick Giddy. So yep. it gave him a, and this is no nothing against Warwick Giddy, but he wasn't offensively minded player. Just just made the matchups better for us, and we 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 beat them in in a I think in one of the classic series in, in the NBL history, and and sure. each game. 
you know, like three games, we moved to the tennis center that year, Rod Laver Arena. You know, the first game we got 15,000 people and game two and game three all beat the, the record for games uh, for attendance in, in mm. Australian basketball. So incredible. Oh, I think what that did, they were probably had more talent um, at that point in time, but yeah, they came back and won it the next year. So, yeah, yeah. incredible series. And, uh, yeah, I think Drew's being a little bit kind uh, about my <laughs> defensive talents. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, fantastic year and great memories. Now, we don't want to waste too much time because clearly the star of this this week's show is our chat with Andrew Gaze. But we're here to talk about the Adelaide 36ers as well. And it's been a, it's been an interesting ride the last well, the last couple of weeks. We, we saw them... You know, just just after our last show, coming off that that really big win in New Zealand, where Jerome Randall hit hit his second game winner of the weekend, and and at that point things were looking looking really good. Though the Sixers were in the top four and they were building some momentum, but I don't know what happened in that in that week leading into the home game against the Illawarra Hawks. But you speak to Joey Wright, you speak to I've spoken to Kevin White about it, and you hear the players' comments after that, and, and they knew all week that something was wrong. They, they the complacency sort of crept in against the Hawks and and I don't know if you were there that night for the home game but they put in a in a stinker and lost at home to the Hawks and a couple of days later they went up to Cairns they played better but they still lost against a, a Cairns Taipans team that that is playing tremendous basketball right now and they come back home lose again to the New Zealand Breakers um, after Christmas um, but then a couple of days later on New Year's Day they bounced back to beat the Perth Wildcats at on their home floor really good performance. Uh, the score says it's only a three-point win, but I felt like it was a much better performance than that by the Sixers that that day on New Year's Day. I thought they played played really well, um, but then they go and play in Sydney three days later and fourteen-point loss, and I felt like they were never really in that game. Um, but then two days later, they had to bounce back. They had no choice but to beat beat the Hawks, especially after what had happened two weeks earlier, and, and they got the job done. So right now they're ten and eleven, just behind Melbourne United, who's third at eleven and nine. And the Cairns Taipans who are eleven and nine. Um, there's a lot to dissect just there, <laughs> Scott. But well, what do you think of the way the Sixers are travelling right now? I am so happy that I'm not Joe Wright. I mean, mm. they. Uh, <laughs> I mean, who, who knows what you're going to get from them? It's just yeah. uh, they're a nightmare at the moment. They're so inconsistent, and, and that yeah, you know, that Perth game, mate. I, I'd back them every time against someone like Perth. You know, yeah, they bring their A game, but that that first game against Illawarra was as bad of a game as I've seen in mm. a long, long time. And, and Illawarra had, I don't want to say no one, because that's that's denigrating the people that they do have. But you know, like to lose to that game at home, that was such an important game. I yeah. mean, Joey must be pulling his hair out. Well, what hair he's got left? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a. Uh, they're just so unpredictable and, uh, you know, it's frustrating. Yeah, you know, we all want them to win so much. I don't I don't think that inconsistency can translate into a, in a final position now, unfortunately. Maybe it can. Mm. I, I pray that it does. But, uh, yeah. you know, Cairns are, yeah, they're doing the thing. They've got the import thing right. Um, yeah. We... Yeah, we have inconsistently with our imports. I, I I like to think we make it, but I don't think we can. There's things to like about the way the team's playing right now, and I think as we talked about a couple of shows back, Brendan Tees is a is a great a great highlight so far this season. I think I think Eric Griffin's doing enough to to be proving his worth, even though he has 
the odd brain fade that's, that's hurting him as well. I think DJ's a little bit inconsistent, but he's still giving what you expect from DJ. Probably the same with Jerome Randall, even even if at times I'm sure he's, he's, he's frustrating as well. Um, it seems like it's a choice, though, between Kevin White, Daniel Dillon and Ramon Moore. It seems like only one or two of them can can play any minutes on any any given night and and that might be a maybe maybe the roster wasn't built properly if that's now now proving to be the case because it seems to be there's just too many similar type type players on the roster OBJ's trying his best but he doesn't he seems like he's a player with a lot of talent that isn't quite producing just at yet and and for whatever reason Harry Froling's taken a significant step backwards this season Oh, look, well, I, you know, I like the fact that uh, Joey is uh, limiting these rotations down the last game. Uh, yep. But I think you're right. I think, and, and that's difficult. You know, you want to, you know, you want to keep everyone happy, but you can't do that in a team. You know, a team mm-hmm. of, you know, back in my day it was 10, now it's 11. You got everyone yep. that's expecting 11 or 12. Everyone's spending court time. I think that, uh, you know, our problems exist defensively. I mean, our best players... In Daniel Johnson and Eric Griffin and uh, Jerome Randall, you know, <laughs> defensively, well, they're, they're not known for the defense. They're not yeah. noted for it. Um, yeah. um, and I think that's why Tease and, and Obishay, you know, get the start because yep. they're going to they're going to do their thing. And, and Tease has been been excellent, like in his role. You know, maybe mm-hmm. his role in reality, if it's a championship team, should be number eight or nine. But you know, Drimmick's Drimmick's had a really yeah, good, really good season, season yeah. but uh, yeah, like, we're going to need to. They're really going to need to get it together in the next one or two games. Otherwise, it's all over from. And hopefully, they can. And, and it's not unheard of. I mean, you can. Yeah, this league at the moment is very wide open. They get it together, but uh, I think it needs to happen at defensive end because we know they can score, um, yeah. and hopefully, they can. Well, we'll have a look at. At this Saturday's game against Melbourne, after we hear from Andrew Gaze, and then we can can wrap up the show. But but for now, let's get to our chat with Andrew Gaze because that's the the star of this show, and and you, you did a great job to organise it, Scotty. And I think as you'll hear, Drew was just so you know he was just so generous with his time, so happy to talk to us, and I think it was a real treat to hear him get to catch up with you after after your years of battle, and I think you enjoyed the the chance to chat to him too. Absolutely, mate. Looking forward to it. Okay, we're back here on Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis for for the first time in 2020, and we thought we would start off with with a bang. We'd go right to the top, and and you can't get any higher in Australian basketball than than Andrew Gaze, a man that that you Ninny played a lot of your career playing against. So it'll be fascinating to dive into that a little bit as we go along. But but first of all, Andrew Gaze, thanks very much for joining us. No, it's an absolute pleasure, pleasure, and uh, now looking forward to having a chat and reminiscing about some of the old times and. And uh, Scott has been—he's been a, a thorn in the uh, tiger's side many a times, mm. and uh, it'd be interesting to get his take and perception because it's been a quite a few years. And uh, as we all know, that these stories can sometimes <laughs> uh, percolate a little bit and come out with some extraordinary different outcomes <laughs> to what we all remember. He spent a fair bit of time <laughs> guarding you over the years too. What what stands out <laughs> when you do think about playing against Scott Ninnis all those years? Well. Probably the the um, thing that sticks out the most is uh, going back to the '92 Grand Final series, mm. and it was one that um, uh, we had uh, we won the first game, and 
we thought we were on track to um, do something really special. And um, <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, Darren, uh, Darren Perry was the starting point guard. And he came in and um, we felt we had an advantage. And that's not being disrespectful to Dar- Darren, but just with the size of, of myself and Lennard, mm. uh, we thought that we had a pretty significant advantage in that area. And it certainly showed out in game one. But unfortunately for Darren, he went down and Scott, you, I think he did his Achilles. What is his Achilles? He did? Snapped, snapped his Achilles, absolutely. Snapped his Achilles. And um, it was a traumatic injury for him, but it changed the whole complexion of the game because Scott then had a, um, a pretty significant role, and uh, as it turned out, they went on to win the next two games, mm. and and we sort of looked back on that, and, and again, it sounds disrespectful for Darren Perrin, it shouldn't be, because they they had a, he was doing an extraordinary good job throughout the season, and was playing really well, but just on the matchups, in hind, in our view, it's, it's sort of we felt like that it helped helped the magic a little bit, and uh, certainly Scott came on and annoyed the crap out of me, and um, made it pretty tough for us. And they end up getting the win. Well, I'm, I'm not sure where to go from there. I didn't realise we were going to roast uh, me. And uh, <laughs> no. I'm very well, very... it's not roasting. It's it's no, not roasting. The <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that was a, that was an unbelievable series, uh, Drew, because. Uh, you know, and it, and it went down to the wire. Went to three games. Uh, each game, uh, you know, was was a yeah. new record for at that particular time for crowds in Australia. Yeah. But I think what it did do for us was that Robert Rose uh, didn't have to cha- uh, chase Copeland around every game. He, he was yeah. able to guard uh, Warwick Giddy and uh, put me on to Copeland, and obviously yeah. Darren Lucas was. Uh, Snapping at your heels, so yeah. From a matchup point of view, it it, it worked out perfectly. But it, it it was one of the questions I wanted to ask you because the year before that, in nineteen ninety one, we'd lost to the Perth Wildcats, and we were absolutely determined that nothing was going to get in our way in ninety two. Now the same thing happened in nineteen ninety three, where the Tigers won their first championship yeah. against Perth in Perth. Was that a similar sort of feel that you learnt from those? you know, from that series that nothing was going to get in your way the next year? I think it's that um, that genuine disappointment of getting so close and coming up short. It can go two, two ways, I think. It, it can be so uh, detrimental and, and somewhat painful that it's it's sometimes hard to recover. But I think that the uh, uh, the age profile of our team and, and of course, in in um, uh, picking up Mark Radke in '93. Yeah, thank, th- thanks, thirty sixers. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that certainly um, made a, a, a fairly significant difference. Um, and but I think that you're right that that it it, um, it does have that or did have that motivating factor for us. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the exact same happened. For us, the next time we won our championship uh, in '96, we we came up short, and um, and then '97 we were able to get back to the grand final and and actually won it. So in both our, our grand final championship seasons for the Melbourne Tigers, when I was there, uh, it came on the um, on the heels of a, a, a disappointing grand final loss. Is uh, I mean, true those those championships in '93 and '97 from an NBL point of view. Obviously, a, a absolute highlights from your career here, but 
you know, you, you have done everything, you know, seven-time MVP, 15-time All-NBL, you know, flag bearer at the, at the 2000 Olympics, <laughs> which I you know, want to touch on shortly as well. But, you know, out of everything you've done, you know, the Seton Hall thing, what, what mm. is there anything that really sticks out in your mind? Are there a couple of things that you can tell us, uh, you know, when you sit down uh, yeah. with a couple of old mates that really stand out? Yeah, well, it's it's really hard because I've been extraordinarily lucky with some of the opportunities I've uh, had, and and in all honesty, it's a lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time and having some good fortune smile upon you, and that certainly happened to me uh, a number of times. And to answer a question like that, it's it's almost awesome. like asking. Which one of my four kids do I love the most? Because they, well, they mate, all mean. Mate, I've got three. I, I love. <laughs> I, uh, from time to time, they're, they're, I can tell you which one I love the most. <laughs> and that's how it is with 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 these things that we go through. Is that at sometimes at certain moments you're reflecting back and you go, "Oh, how good was that?" And it sort of stands above everything else. But I, I suppose because um, from a very early age, I aspired to play for Australia and with. My my dad's involvement and learning about the Olympics and what it means to represent your country, the Olympics and the spirit of competition, all those things were instilled in me at a very early age. So to get those opportunities to fulfill a boyhood dream, something that you aspire to at a very, very young age, uh, I guess they mean a little bit more because of that um, and also the fact that uh, given my Olympic experience that culminated in a home Olympics and being able to have all those great things that go along with becoming an Olympian but then getting to share them in front of your home fans and family and friends and in an incredible atmosphere was created in Sydney that probably sticks out the most of, of those um, uh, Olympic experiences. Now, Drew, I've got a little bit of inside information for someone who might have been there when you were uh, the flag bearer at the 2000 yeah. Olympics. Uh, is it true that you were asked to, you had to dip the flag to the Queen's, Queen's representative, yes. but then, you, but then yeah. you didn't actually know where that person was, yeah. so you started dipping the flag yeah. the whole way down the street? No, that's 100% correct. It was, um, it was one of those things, as you could appreciate, uh, they, they not a whole lot of instructions. Um, John Coates was the chef de mission. He was the one that appointed him. As we're ready to step foot out on the track and introduce the Australian athletes to the world, uh, he was involved in the opening ceremony and the march as well. And, and he basically, he's, there was two things you had to do. He said, Daisy, go out there, really enjoy yourself. And just remember that there's the president's box with all the dignitaries. Make sure you... It's it's not compulsory, but it's it's customary to, to dip the flag as a sign of respect. So I thought two are great, two things: have fun, dip the flag. Can't be that hard. Um, and but as you appreciate, when you step foot out in front of 120,000 people, and you've got the Australian flag in your hand, and you're waving it around, things do get the better of you. And just the the excitement, euphoria of the moment, um, and I've I've told this story many a time because if you go back and see the footage, I mean, just the joy of that experience and seeing people and the noise. Um, I remember walking out there, and and I took a glimpse out of the eye. You're sort of walking on air, and 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 I was literally 
I reckon, 50 metres in front of the rest of the team. <laughs> so I was like, hang on, big fella. It's, uh, it's not about you, my friend. It, you just might need to tone it down a little bit. So I, I was doing that but still getting caught up to it. You know, and it wasn't until I was about halfway around the track, 200 metres, where you start to then absorb it a little bit more and not just – and the adrenaline s- settles down. And I'm thinking, hang on a second, I'm supposed to dip this flag – in front of the, uh, the the dignitaries, and I look up, and all I can see is a sea of people. I got no idea where the, the the president's box and all these. So if you go back and ever get to look at the footage, you'll find it's probably maybe about twenty meters, uh, thirty meters max, where I am randomly walking and dipping that flag and hoping like hell that I just happened to cross the point where the dignitaries were so I fulfilled that uh, obligation and showed the respect that uh, it is customary to do. I reckon everyone that's listening to this now is going to go back and look at that footage and <laughs> see you dipping. dipping You'll see a madman with a, a madman with just enjoying the moment. They give you this harness so that it's a, like a halt holster that you can put the flag in so if it gets a bit heavy um, you've got some support that sucker just on sheer, sheer adrenaline did not go anywhere near the the, um, the, the holster uh, <laughs> because you, you, you're so jacked up and pumped up and it, it's it's an experience that I think back on and, and even to this day I sometimes have to check myself and think did that really happen? Those feelings that I try to remember, did that really happen? Was that some sort of fanciful dream that, you know, that, that actually um, had some sort of sense? So it's it was such a unique experience and, and one that it's I cannot compare it to anything else that I've ever done. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, that's all, it's just such an incredible story. And uh, I know everyone that will be listening to this actually watched that live at the time and, <laughs> yeah. you know, just to, to see the pure joy – like Ted, as you were sprinting up the straight away from the rest of the team. In all honesty, and that was a long, long time ago, and I would have spoken about that particular moment a thousand times, even more. But even now as I sit here speaking to you uh, this evening, I still get those, the hairs on the back of your arms and the neck that I still it still gives me goosebumps and tingles when I talk and remember uh, uh, that moment because it was it was such a, a privilege and an honor to, to be in that circumstance that, that it, yeah it, you have those moments where sometimes it's hard to believe it actually happened that's uh, and once again that's incredible because uh, you know just you know for those of us who know you to see someone that's so proud to do that was incredible. Anyway, let's let's move on from that. Um, I just want to briefly touch. Uh, you've moved from coaching for the last couple of years with the Sydney Kings. Yeah, back in a commentary which everyone is happy about because, uh, uh, and we'll talk about the commentary shortly. But uh, yeah. I know when I um, when I stopped coaching the Thirty Sixes, and when I say stopped, yeah. got the, got the sack. I mean, you yeah. <laughs> slightly different situation. <laughs> 
I think I, I, be, I, think I beat <laughs> the sacking. Well, <laughs> it, would be, it would be fair to say that a small part of me was hoping mm. that the 36ers would lose every game <laughs> next year. And, and in, in, hindsight, in, hindsight, in hindsight, for three years, they pretty much did lose every game, but that's another story. Now that, now that you're commentating, how do you feel watching them, especially the way they started this year? And guys that you had such involvement with, I mean, can you – do you want them to win the championship this year? Or do you hope Absolutely. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, um, you know, maybe that comes out in the commentary a little bit because I'm constantly uh, not, not, I don't think there's a lot of people, but there are some people that accuse me of being somewhat biased in my views. And, and I, I try not to be in my heart and my head. I feel like I'm being very objective about it, but um, you know, I, I love my time in Sydney um, I, I certainly you build those bonds with with a lot of the players, and in particular guys like Brad Newley and uh, Kevin Lish, in particular were there for my entire time. Yeah. Um, I I want absolute nothing but the success for them, and and of course with some of the other guys like Bogues and Kick It, although I only spent a year with them, I, I'm me personally I I feel really close to them and I follow them and, and I want nothing but good things for them. So, um, and, and I think it also made it a lot easier for me in that there was a transition to a new ownership group. So Paul Smith is now the new owner and uh, I was there mainly uh, for that 95% of my time was with for Harvey Lister and, and Harvey and Paul and Jeff Jones, another guy, Jeff and, and Paul came on for the, for the most of the last season, but, you know, it was still very much Harvey's program and, and, and they were helping out. Um, they, or each and every one of them, could not have been more caring and more supportive of me and what was going on. And I had a really good relationship with them. And, and, and Paul uh, Smith is, is a, an interesting character, but he's a, he was fantastic and treated me really well and, and wanted nothing but the best for me. So because of that really amicable situation where it was time for me to move on because I missed my family and just my my bond uh, with those guys, uh, you, you, it's hard just to say, well, because I'm not there, that, that I want them to lose. I, I absolutely do not want them to lose and I would be disappointed if they don't win the championship because they've picked up some – incredible players that um, are doing some extraordinary things. Well, good. So you went not as bitter and twisted as what I was. So it's good to hear. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you always look back on it, as I'm sure you did, and there's always a few things you look back on and say, geez, you know, I, I might have done that a little bit differently. But yeah. by and large, I have great peace of mind in that, um, that I did my absolute very best. I worked as hard as I possibly could. And um, and you, you let the cards fall where they may, and uh, you know the last. I guess it's a lot easier to come away from that when you finish equal top. You know, in wins and losses anyway, you finish equal top eight and ten. If not for a couple of circumstances that you know you might have had, even had been better positioned to to go one step further. Um, so I feel it's it's a lot easier to to leave on those circumstances um, than from. I can't remember exactly what you went through, but 
my recollection was that you had some really significant challenges you had to deal with, and it's um, you sometimes don't feel like you, you were able to give it your best shot. Yeah, so so back in the commentary now, and uh, I guess those of us who who love our basketball. We're so happy that you're back commentating. Uh, oh, good. I appreciate that. Love listening <laughs> to you and Hammer and yep. Anstey, even though he sounds like he's been smoking for the last uh, 40 years. <laughs> What's going on with that voice? <laughs> no, I, he, um, he does a great job. I, I think that it's um, it takes a little while to find your groove and understand what the audience wants. And it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult because – um, we, we don't get a lot of instructions in regards to what the method is, but I think there's a general understanding that you've got to walk that balance between talking to people like yourself who knows the game real intimately and uh, those that perhaps are seeing basketball as fresh eyes and how you've got to try and bring them along for the journey because ultimately guys like you – and me and Chris, we are watching regardless who is commentating. We we, we sure. are locked in. We, we, we yeah. love the game so much, we are locked in. So in many senses, we should never take that for granted, but you've also got to understand that, that we need to generate new television audiences. So there is a fine line in that commentary that you've got to walk, and, and, and I think most of the guys do a – well, all the guys do a really, really good job. I'm not sure, so sure about that, uh, Drew. Uh, <laughs> if I could be a little bit controversial, there's sure. there's a couple of people that anyway we we probably don't need to go there because I hear uh, the, the people that I know that know basketball like you and Hammer uh, yeah. probably uh, just uh, uh, making sure that some people are not completely making stuff up. But anyway, we don't need to. <laughs> what, what I would like to ask you about the yeah. uh, commentary is that like sitting, you know, I think it's really hard now you're watching it, you're not watching it live. And I think yeah. that's, you know, personally for me, that's been a bit of a setback this year because, you know, when you watch it on a screen, I mean, there's only so much you can see. You're not getting caught up with the atmosphere and you don't see yeah. it live. Is that, is that, difficult or is that something that you think should maybe change again or like I'm not I don't have the answers I'm just yeah yeah no, no, I understand and, and there's been a lot of commentary about that and the league I think to their credit were very transparent right from the start they didn't try and hide it um and and were open about it because it is actually the way of the world if you every Euro League game you see it's done exactly the same uh, when I was working for FIBA at the World Cup and talking to them about uh, – talking to the other commentators, the not all of them, but 80%, whether it's uh, national competitions, national leagues or Euro leagues, a very, very strong percentage of them are done exactly the way that we're doing it here in Australia. And, there, of course, there are pros and cons to it. I think the, the, the for me, one of the good things about it is that you, you certainly don't get distracted. You are fixed on exactly what's happening. And as yep. you say, sometimes it's good to see all that, that other stuff, but sometimes it can be a distraction and you you, you, you lose focus. You can lose focus on some of the, 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 the more, in detail, more important details about the game. Uh, ideally, in a perfect world, 
Absolutely. I, I think that the, it's an advantage to be at the game. That I don't think anyone would argue that, even those that have made the decision to, to, to do it this way. But I don't think that what we're doing uh, necessarily compromises the quality of of the production, um, and and ultimately it needs to be financially viable. And we'd rather deal with these situations and do the absolute very best we can. And and like I said, in my judgment, and clearly I'm very biased, I don't think that the, the negatives uh, grossly outweigh the positives to say that this is this is a train wreck or this is this is compromising the viewer's experience. I personally don't think that. Um, but, you know, obviously that's up for, for other people to judge as well. I I, I have a question without notice. Yep. The video review. <laughs> yeah. Now. As in, as in just officiating reviews. Yes. yes. Now, it seems to be, obviously, I, I actually don't know when they can review something because I'm, bit out of it now, but yeah. it just seems at the end of the game, there's a couple of uh, familiar heads that uh, like looking at that <laughs> TV screen. To, to me, to me, yeah, you know, the, the flop charge call, that's what you should review because you know, yeah. the serial floppers, yeah. who's still getting away with flopping, um, yeah. it's, it's, can, can that be done better, do you think, in some way? I think anything that we can do to speed up the process that's the sure. key. I, I, I think that um, you know, coming from just coming out of the coaching caper and where your, your, your job's on the line and whether it's the players or the coaches and the more we can get decisions uh, made in a, that are accurate, yeah. um, I think that's, that's ultimately the most important thing. But I, I am with you in regards to saying that the process needs to be quicker. Sure. We've got to be able to get that. And, and, and maybe it's unfair because the, the officials, they're the ones that ultimately are going to be scrutinised. And when you don't have that pressure and we're sitting in a studio and we see the replay, it's to us a lot of the times it's patently obvious what's happened. But because they want to be absolutely sure, which I understand, yeah. that sometimes it takes a little longer. Also, I think the logistics of it, where the officials have to go walk around the back of the bench and then have a look. If there is a way in which they can have a monitor, just flip the monitor around. Yeah. Here yeah. it is. And and, yeah, and, and also maybe give a little bit more authority to the official that's actually manning the the um, yeah. the replay system. So they can come in and he can say, listen, look at this. Here it is. Here is bang, 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 because he's already seen it or she's already seen it. And – can provide maybe a little bit more imp, uh, imp, influence on the decisions. But whatever we can do to make it quicker and um, uh, more efficient, then I think it's a good thing. I couldn't agree with you anymore. And I've just realised, Drew, that uh, this is a 36 podcast we haven't even spoken about uh, <laughs> our team, our team yet. I, <laughs> you've seen them recently. Yeah, uh, they're the most frustrating team in the world at the moment, and and uh, this 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 year is is basically like anyone can make it. I mean, we know Sydney, we know Perth are going to make it, uh, especially with their signing today. And you think Melbourne United are going to be there, and, and probably Cairns as well. Uh, you know, what what do you see with the thirty sixes? What do the, what do they need to do to make that final yeah, in that fourth position? Oh, or well, can they? Or can they make it? 
No, of course they can make it. And I think until such a time as statistically you're you're out of it, then you absolutely uh, a chance. And I think that um, if I was to be a hundred percent objective about it, uh, I don't personally think that they have the same level as talent as the the, the top three teams. They, sure. I, but 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 when you then now slip down to the Cairns Taipans, uh, they've they've been very very smart and and obviously there's a bit of luck involved as well that they have got three imports that are are perfect for their situation. Yep. Perfect yep. balance and 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 I, I think that that's really been the difference between them this year as opposed to last year. And last year they had okay, very good imports. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but this year they have outstanding imports in, in not just their own individual skills, but the way they they um, help each other out. Uh, and and I think that not a lot of there's not a lot of difference between the fourth place team. And if you go all the way down, with perhaps the exception of the Illawarra Hawks, there's very little margin between any of them. So I, I, I think that that says that, of course, you should be buoyant and you still should be very positive about the prospects of, of competing for that um, that spot. Uh, and, and, and even if you look at it and say, well, right now, if you look at even Melbourne United, now I personally think that they are – championship contenders and are going to make it. But if you just look at the ladder right now, they've got a bit of work to do. So it may not just be one spot that's available. There could be two. So I think that um, that the Adelaide 36 is just not quite the same depth of talent. But what I do love about the Adelaide 36s is that my uh, limited conversations with them is that they are no longer saying, well, we don't have the same resources. We don't, we we're not on the same level as the so-called big three. Um, Grant Kelly and and what he is doing in regards to resourcing the team, playing a new ven- venue, putting money into their coaching, recently hiring Jeff Van Grijnigan to help up their their basketball department. Um, their uh, goal of him coming, you know, maybe not overtly, but certainly within the inner sanctum saying, no, 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 if there's a marquee player out there, if the next Andrew Bogut, whether it be, you know, Matthew Delavidova, whoever, he is prepared to invest to make it happen. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about the Adelaide 36ers because they are not just wanting to make up the numbers. They are going to devote the resources to get it done. And their venue looks spectacular. It's a. It looks like a great venue to watch a game of basketball. Incredible atmosphere. So there's a lot to like about, it, and hopefully that they, they um, give themselves a good chance to, to to get to that next level this year as well. Can I just jump in quickly? Uh, um, Jerome Randall, you coached the last season and a half of the Kings. Was he the Was he the right man for the 36ers to go back to? And how have you seen his season so far back in Adelaide? I think he's been really good. Hmm. Jerome is a pro. Um, we can always talk about some of the the, the uh, no matter what the player is, you can always look at things that perhaps they can't do or some you know some of their deficiencies or whatever. Jerome has very few. He is a highly motivated individual that is prepared to challenge the group. He's prepared to show leadership, and I absolutely loved Jerome. Um, 
with what he's about, the way he goes about it. And um, I, I can't speak more highly of, of Jerome and the way in which he tried to help me. Now, having said that, uh, we had our battles. We had our battles, but they were healthy battles. You have a battle with Jerome, and sometimes you'll get, get, it, get into it in, in a game. But he's a pro because at the end of it, he understands the emotion of it. You'll, you'll have it out with him, and then you move on. And you and, and you get on to the, the next thing and you're all pulling together. And and, and and sometimes because of the way in which he will challenge you, that it, it sometimes takes a bit of understanding and developing that relationship. But it's all comes from a really, really good place. And I think he's had some outstanding games. He has single handedly won some games for Adelaide this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um and you say, Well, what would happen if Jerome Randall is if you if if Jerome Randall touched wood, let's just take a hypothetical and said, "Well, he's out from now until the end of the season." You're cooked. Mm-hmm. You are cooked. You you cannot win without him right now. So I think he's been uh, fantastic, and he's he's trying to get everyone involved. He also understands his responsibility individually to for what the team needs. So oh, I think he's been really good. I uh, look. That, that's a thank you so much. Oh, look, Chris, if you don't have anything else, uh, uh, I had one one more quickly. Well, well, Drew, you Drew, go if there, you don't mate. mind, um, <laughs> uh, no, um, a little bit over the probably the last twelve to eighteen months, I've been spending some time speaking to your old your old mate Leonard Copeland about his his coaching ambitions. He obviously spent the last three years with yep. him at Sydney, where he was finding his feet as an assistant under you and. I spoke to him, yeah. must have been probably, you know, four or six weeks ago. He just stepped, stepped off the golf course with, with you after your, your, your week, weekly yeah. game. And he, talk, he talked about how he wants to be a head coach one day. He's making no secret of that and, and he's really passionate about it. Do you feel like he's ready yet if a job comes up to put his hand up? Absolutely he is. And I would say that about most assistant coaches in our competition, those head assistant coaches, uh, most of them are, are ready because if they are not ready, then they're probably not going to be great lead assistants mm-hmm. because you need someone that's absolutely ready. Um, and, and the thing I think of with Leonard is just him having the belief that he's ready. Um, now, he thinks he is, but there's I think there are times sometimes that, you know, he, he may not have the same level of confidence that I have in him. Mm-hmm. I have supreme confidence great faith in him. So I think what he's doing now is he's coaching the head coach of a, a big V team here in uh, Victoria. He's coaching Altona. That that is great experience. But been around a long time. Understands the game. He understands the numbers. And um, it's just a, a matter of opportunity. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a whole bunch of opportunities. But he he would be a great uh, coach and. And I certainly would endorse him as a a candidate for whoever he wanted to to coach. Now, Drewy, I uh, I actually have a special guest at my house tonight. He played a he played a grand total of two minutes and forty two at the Sydney <laughs> Sydney Olympics. Uh, most of us here in Adelaide think he was a pretty good player, but obviously the fact that he played fuck all doesn't mean much. So, uh, uh, Brett, Brett Maher, triple Olympian, has a question for you, Drew. So I'll just hey. turn the phone over for him, if that's okay. <laughs> Drew, yeah. It's great to talk to you. And um, can I ask you a serious question before we get into it? I'm sorry, Are you? Your question. 
This is this is one that's dear to me because I've actually been thinking of you a lot, and not just in those quiet times by myself in the bedroom. I've actually been thinking about you because of the horrific fire situations and understanding that you um, were a fireman, and I, I just wasn't sure if you're still involved in that and still on the tools. Well, funny you asked me that, Drewy, because that was going to be my question to you. I'm still a firefighter at the moment, and, uh, yeah, we're fighting the fires, and I just actually put in to hopefully go over to Kangaroo Island and uh, help over there. uh, Good man. um, Yeah, I've been seeing um, Chris Hemsworth donating millions and uh, NBA guys. You're the richest person I know. (laughs) I was wondering how much you're donating to people. Yes, we have made and 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 uh, these times here generate a lot of emotion, um, and certainly uh, the emotion has is is something that you just you just have to go to your wallet and mm-hmm. and help out um, with all these types of things, and and I don't I absolutely do not want this to be in any perform seen as negative to the way other people go about it. What satisfies me the most is the contributions you make that where there is zero return. Yeah. I'm not interested in anyone knowing what I contribute. Uh, I, I contribute as much as I possibly can, but I don't want one single accolade, any of that. Now, there are those who say, well, that's not fair because you can actually help others with your goodwill well okay I'll, I'll publicly do my goodwill in other in, in other ways uh, and try and help out uh, the best I can as, as much as I can but um, I put my head on the pillow knowing that myself my four kids and my wife do have done as much as we possibly can to help out our fellow Australians and I'm sure you will too. You're very generous. I uh, we uh, actually just um, spent a bit of time with a family that have lost everything, and it's it's really horrific. And um, yeah, there's a lot of family struggling out there. But uh, it is yeah, it, um, it, it is heartbreaking. And yeah. uh, without trying, you know, we try to have a bit of fun, but and 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 build this up. But what you are doing is more heroic than anything you've done on a basketball court, and we are so proud and grateful for what you do and put yourself in harm's way for others that don't for one second think that that goes unnoticed or unappreciated because it is is enormous what you are doing. Yeah, no, thanks, that, Joey. And um, I'll let you get back to the serious stuff that you're doing with uh, Chewy. I'm covering all the big topics. Very, very, very serious stuff that we're doing. But we're having some fun, and no, hey, most just, importantly, you stay yeah. safe, mate. And um, and and good luck. And uh, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, good to speak to you too. I look forward to catching up soon. You're Bye. a great man. See you, Drew. See you, buddy. I asked him to ask one question. That's all he did. He just, oh, my God, like, dominate the phone. That's the sound of his own mouth. No, it was me. That was that was all me. And honestly, it is hum- it's very, very humbling with what him and his role as a firefighter and what he's going through right now. I, um, you know, it, it is, for all the great things that he does on a basketball court, 
that is something right now that really, really hits home. So I'm, I'm privileged to have a chat to the great man and hopefully he stays safe. It is mind-boggling, but we don't want to blow too much sunshine up his ass, do we? Sounds like these you should, because he is a dead set hero. Yeah, Drew. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on tonight. Uh, hope we haven't kept you up for too late. Uh, no, mate, I can talk for hours to you, blokes. It's good fun. Well, keep, and, uh, keep going then. No, no, no. Go forever. No, 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 no we bored the shit out of everyone else. And really, we're just doing it for ourselves right now. So no, that's no. all it is. So. Thanks, mate. It's been an absolute privilege, and uh, hopefully, we get a chance to talk to you soon uh, in the not too distant future. You're a good man, and uh, all the best, and, and uh, good on you, Chris. I appreciate it. No, thanks very much, Drew. Really appreciate it. Take care, guys. Good on you. Well, Scott, absolute pleasure for us here on Sixers Fix with Scott Nennis to be joined by the the legendary Andrew Gaze on, on this week's show. Big way for us to start off 2020. I hope everybody enjoyed that chat with... Australia's greatest ever basketball player. We certainly did. And and just a chance for you, Scott, to catch up with somebody who you played so many years against and who, who was such a big part of your career in so many ways. I think that's the it's the it's the greatest part of this show that we're doing here at Sixers Fix is the chance for you, for our listeners to have a peek sort of behind the curtain and, and to hear you catch up with people that you played with and against over your career. So yeah, a great treat for me to be able to sit 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 in with you guys and have a chat and, and for Brett Ma to chip in at the end, that was that was just the perfect way to top it off and and I know we, we poke fun at, at Marzi at times here on, on the show and rightfully so, but the effort he's doing and all of all of the firefighters in Australia are doing right now, especially for him to be volunteering his time to go over to Kangaroo Island. It, yeah, I think Gazy said it said it better than better than I could. But full respect to them, and if if we can do our part here on the show to to sort of bring attention to what they're doing and to help raise some funds, go to go to all of the the bushfire relief funds and donate as much money as you can because that's the best way that we can help. But moving on here at, at Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis for this weekend. Yeah, I mean, obviously our interview with Andrew Gaze was the star of the show this week. I hope you all enjoyed it, but now our attention turns to, to Saturday night and massive game with the Adelaide Entertainment Centre, probably the biggest game inside that building now for the 36ers. Playing against Melbourne United, the old rivals, Chris Golding, Sean Long, Mellow Trimble, David Barlow, and, and all of that crew, Mitch McCarran, all, all coming to town. It's a it's a huge game for both teams. The Adelaide 36 is now 10 and 11, just outside the top four. Melbourne United, they're on a bit of a slide themselves. They're in third spot, but they their record is only 11 and 9. So all of a sudden, a win on Saturday night for the 36ers, and things are really tight, tightening up if... If Melbourne falls back to 11 and 10, and suddenly the 36ers are 11 and 11, the race is right on over the last five weeks of the season. So this game is huge. The Sixers haven't played well against Melbourne so far this season. Lost well, I've lost the first first two games to them this season over over in Melbourne. They haven't been the best performances, but all is on the line now this Saturday night. Finals prospects on the line for the 36ers. A win and they're right back in the hunt. It's a huge way to close the season as well because after this game, there's Cairns, Brisbane, New Zealand, 
the South East Melbourne Phoenix, the Taipans again, and then the Perth Wildcats. So all of those teams are fighting for playoff positions. So Saturday night, we urge you to get along. Let's pack out the entertainment centre. Let's get the biggest crowd there game in South Australia. Let's, let's pack it out. Let's make life hard for Melbourne United. Let's get an important victory. Um, get your tickets at Ticket Tech. Thanks for t- tuning in here once again on Sixers Fix. Scott Ninnis. A pleasure to have been joined by your company once again. We look forward to doing it again next week. And until then, go 36ers.